all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, Michael Jordan, when he arrived at North Carolina, told the assistant coach at that time, it was Roy Williams who would go on to be one of the greatest head coaches ever. Michael Jordan said to Roy Williams, I want to be the greatest player that ever stepped on the court at North Carolina. Roy Williams looked at Michael Jordan and he said, then you're going to have to work harder. Michael Jordan's response to that was, I work harder than anybody on my high school team. Roy Williams says, excuse me, I understood you to say you wanted to be the best player that ever played at North Carolina. And if you want to be that, you're going to have to work harder. Two days later, Michael Jordan returned to that assistant coach, Roy Williams, and said, nobody will ever work harder at basketball than I'm fixing to work. And Roy Williams said, and nobody ever did that I knew of. I say that to say this. Michael Jordan knew you had to work to win. Bear Bryant tells of how his mother used to pray, Dear God, don't let my baby boy play football. But if and you do, let him win. And folks, Bear Bryant won. And it was no accident. Bear Bryant knew you had to work to win. I told Trenton when he was just a little athlete, still is in my eyes, Because he played on some teams that he was not near the best talent. But I always assured him, hard work will outdo talent when talent won't work. Trenton knew you had to work to win. And you look at me today and you said, well, are we gathering as a basketball team? And I say to you, nope. I wouldn't gathered with you if I wanted a basketball team. I've looked you over. I'm not sure how well we'd fare. We gathered as a football team? No. We're gathered as a church. It's bigger than any basketball game. It's bigger than any football game. You know what it's called? Life. And let me tell you, the same principles apply. If you're going to win in life, you'll have to work. Simply because it doesn't matter if it's a football field, a rodeo arena, or a basketball court, you got to work to win. It was well said, I read it this week, championships are not won on the night of the big event. Let me say that again. Championships are not won on the night of the big event, but years before by athletes who commit themselves daily to championship principles 
work. So when I read that, I simply this morning just switched that to maybe something you'd better understand. Because of, because we as Christians are in a battle. But I'll remind you, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I remind you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. I remind you, look here, that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I remind you that we can be thankful to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's without doubt, as children of God, we're winners. But so many sat defeated on the pews in the church buildings because they don't realize you got to work to win. So I rewrote the statement that I read this week. Are you ready? Victories are not won on the day of the battle. But days and weeks and years by Christians who commit themselves daily to victorious principles. You're going to have a battle without doubt. And it won't be won on the day of that battle you have with the flesh and the devil. It'll be won with days and weeks and years of commitment that you will make daily to the victorious Christian life. If you need a title, it's work to win. You gotta work to win. Number one, if you're gonna win, you've gotta work, listen to this, on fauceting your feelings. Now that's pretty deep, isn't it? You gotta work on fauceting your feelings. Maybe you'll better understand that if I tell you what a faucet does. It controls the product that's in the pipeline. The product in the pipeline don't control the faucet. The faucet controls the product in the pipeline. So when I say you've got to faucet your feelings, your life is the pipeline and it's got some feelings in it and you've got to learn how to faucet them. Are you staying with me? If we're going to win, we've got to work at fauceting our feelings. See, you're not always going to feel like putting in the work. You're not always going to feel like doing what it takes to be victorious. And if you're not careful, you say, well, there ain't a battle today and I can take a day off. Listen to me. Days and weeks and years of working on falsetting our feelings and doing things that we know we need to do even when we don't feel like it. Do you know that the Apostle Paul was going to be used to bring the gospel to you and I, the Gentiles? He was going to be used, as he said, to bring the gospel to the heathens. That's what Paul thought of you and I. And when he got saved, he tells us in Galatians chapter 1, you know, I didn't go to Jerusalem to be with the apostles. Three years. Sounds like a little bit like college, don't it? He went to Arabia, and what did he do there? He studied. 
Anybody ever been to college within the earshot of my voice? Come on. Can I ask you something when you are studying for what you're doing? Can I just ask you, when you was at college, did you always feel like studying? But to get where you got today, you had to study even when you didn't feel like it. Right or wrong? So Paul, when he went to Arabia, you can never convince me that there's days that he didn't wake up and he didn't want to go study. He didn't feel like it. It wasn't in him. But you know what he knew? I'm a vessel. I'm a tool in the hand of God. And when I don't even feel like it, I've got to dig in and I've got to study. I think that's why he could write to his young son in the faith, be diligent as a worker of God. Look, a worker who does not need to be ashamed doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Here's what Paul knew. Timothy, there's going to be days that you don't feel like getting in the word of God. There's going to be days that you don't want to do it. But I'm telling you, be diligent and study even when you don't feel like it. You know what Jesus said to his disciples? You ought to always pray lest you lose heart. That probably means the same thing Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. What's that you say? Pray without ceasing. I think when Jesus said pray always, different words, but pray without ceasing. Look up here. Can I ask you a question, Mr. Holy Joe and Salvation Sally? Do you always feel like praying? The flesh is wore out, you're tired, and you don't always feel like praying. You know what the Bible says? Pray anyway. Because there's a battle coming. You need to be studying. You need to be praying. How about the Hebrew writer? Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some in the last days. In other words, go to church whether you feel like it or not. And it's evident with all the empty seats in the churches across America today that people have not learned to falsify their feelings because they had intentions on a Saturday to get up and go to church. But when they woke up this morning, there was a pipeline that they didn't feel like it. And guess what? They didn't shut it off, get up and go anyway. And they're not here today. Look at the empty seats. You know what you do? You go to worship when you feel like it. And you go to worship when you don't feel like it. And I love what Paul said, and it makes me wonder. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. And I don't believe that's anything other than a daily witness is what he's talking about. So in my mind when I read that, here's what I picture. I don't know what you picture, probably not this. But I picture him one day on his camel. He stopped at the local 7-Eleven. They didn't have gas pumps out front. They had oats. You could fuel your camel up. I told you I didn't think you'd see it like I saw it. And I just figure one day he was filling the old camel up on oats. And I just wonder, Brother Lincoln, if the Holy Spirit didn't nudge him because there was somebody filling their camel or their donkey up on the next aisle over. And maybe the Holy Spirit nudged the Apostle Paul and said, you need to tell him about me. You need to share about your experience on the road to Damascus with him. And I just wonder if the Apostle Paul might have said, Come on, Lord, I don't feel like it. You know the day I've had? 
I didn't sleep good last night. This camel ain't cooperating. I'm not getting where I'm supposed to go. But I think Paul, whether he felt like it or not, Curtis, went ahead and stepped over there because he knew if he didn't, when he rode off, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul could come back and write to young Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, preach the word. When? In season and out of season. Look up here. You know what that translates? Timothy, preach the word when you feel like it and when you don't. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that every day, every Sunday, that these OIs pop open? I feel like coming and preaching to you folks. Come on, I'm just being honest. There's days these eyes open and I'm just tired. And I just flat don't feel like preaching. But you know what I've done for the past 20 years? I've just got up, whooped myself out of bed because the Word of God tells me preach in season, preach out of season. Preach when you feel like it, Rob. Preach when you don't. Look here. Winners work. And winners work to faucet their feelings. They do things even when they don't feel like doing things. And all God's people said. Jerry West, he was a pretty good ball player, they tell me. Never did get to watch him. But there's enough people give him credit. And here's what he said. And I want you to listen closely and apply this to life. You can't get much out of life if you only work on the days you feel like it. You're not going to get much out of life if you only work on the days you feel like it. You're not going to be much for Jesus, folks, if you only study, pray, worship, and share your faith when you feel like it. Winners work. We got to work on falseting our feelings. Do it when you feel like it. Do it when you don't. Can all of God's people say a hearty amen? But if we're going to win, we must work on not only falseting our feelings, but listen to this. We must work on facing our fears. When we read the Scriptures, when we feel like it and when we don't, we read of great men and women of the Bible. And I think about Noah. He was told to build an ark. He had a fear of what the people would think. And you're sitting there, Mr. Holy Joe, Mr. Salvador. Well, oh, I don't know why he'd have fear. God said, well, it never rained. Wasn't much need for a boat. And sure enough, when he moved with what? Godly fear. That's what's got to happen. Godly fear has to overcome our fear of man and what they think of us. And so he moved with godly fear and built the ark. Come on, let it get personal today. Can you imagine being in Abraham's shoes? And when you feel like it or when you don't, you're studying, you're having your quiet time. And one day God says, hey, Abe, 
get up, pack your bags, pack your family, and hideos. Can you imagine being in quiet time that morning? Abraham says, good enough, God. Where am I going? You don't need to know that, boy. Pack your bags, pack your family up, and hideos. I'm pretty sure Abraham probably asked him a second time, God, if I'm going to pack my bags and I'm going to head out, I don't even know which way to head. Where am I going? The Scripture says he didn't have a clue where he was going. I don't know about you, but that might just rear up a tick of fear. And if it didn't Abraham, I promise you, when wife got beside him, she was full of fear. His cup runneth over now because her fear is being poured into his cup of fear. Are you with me? Can you imagine when he got those orders from headquarters? Can you imagine the fear, Brother Bob? And he had to go to the end of the driveway. This is how it worked. Okay, God, I'm at the end of the driveway. Now which way? He didn't get the right or left till he got the end of the driveway. That's fearful headed down the driveway. And then when he got the right turn, Clyde, out of the driveway, if he did, I'm not saying he did. Some of you will say, uh, did you know Abraham turned? No, I just said, if that's the drive. Sometimes when you preach, somebody said, do you know Abraham turned right out of his driveway when God told him to leave? That's what the pastor said. But he turned. You think it wasn't fearful headed down that road? Because he didn't get his right or left till he got to the next intersection. Till he got to the next creek, creek crossing. Are you with me, folks? Can you imagine the fear that was in Abraham of the unknown? Where am I going? What am I doing? And over and over, David and Goliath, the fear, and you've got to face them. And there's too many people that is not winning sitting in the pews of the churches today because you won't face your fears. You're just scared of what people's going to think. You're, you're fearing failure. And listen, when you do that, guess what? Your, your, your key verse, your lifelong verse will be, those who endure to the end shall be saved. You're not going to experience victory. You're just going to sit there here in the now and nasty and do your best to endure it till we get to the sweet by and by. And that's not what God ever intended. Did you know that? He never intended that for you. You want a good story about that? Biblical? The, the children of Israel, God heard their cry. They was in Egypt. They were slaves. They was in bondage. Are you with me? And God sends Moses to get them. And he brings them out. I mean, they see God's hand move when he parts the Red Sea. I mean, they see the hand of God as they're coming out of slavery. And they don't get out but just a little while. And God says, Moses, get you 12 spies. You know that land... I promised it to you. That's why we're calling it the promised land. Get you 12 spies. Oh, it's good. He kept telling them it's flowing with milk. It's flowing with honey. It's good stuff. Moses, get you 12 spies. Send them over and let them look it over. What I've promised to you. And Moses gets the 12 spies. Have you read this story? If you had Numbers 13. The 12 spies, they take off over there. Can you imagine the family of those spies? Will they make it back? Man, what's going to happen? And they eagerly probably await. And one day somebody's looking through the binoculars and see the 12 guys coming back. And they run to Moses and says, hey, they're back. They're back. And, and, and there's a big meeting. And here's what I love about it. 
They must have all been there. And here come the 12 spies. And one of them noticed, one of them's got a, a, a big old stick on his shoulder. And that one behind him, that same stick is on his shoulder. There must be something between them. When you carry something heavy, I mean, I've even seen calves be tied and put on a post and two guys carry them. Something heavy tied to a stick and you can put it on the shoulders of two men. Are you with me? So they must have wondered, man, what did they get out of this promised land? What could be so heavy that it takes two men? Go read the Bible. This is in there. Man, what is on that pole that it's taken two men to hold? And they look around there, and you know what the Bible says it is? It's a cluster of grapes. The grapes are so big, it takes two people to pack a cluster of them. Now, I'm telling you, they are fired up. Because when Moses addresses them, they say, what do you think? And you know what they said? It's exactly... What God said it would be. And I wonder if they don't point to them grapes and say, really, that's an understatement. It's exceedingly abundantly above anything we ever thought or asked that could be over there in what God promised us. They're fired up at this point. But then you go read it. But nevertheless, so fired up about it. Who promised it to them? Not mama. Not daddy. Not the pastor. God. It's better than he said. Check the grapes out, dude. But nevertheless, the people that dwell there are strong. We're like grasshoppers among them. And man, that's when I see Caleb kind of fire up. What? And he kind of pipes up his voice. He said, we're well able. God promised this to us. We're well able to take these people. But then the whole bunch chimes in with the ten of the twelve and say, we should have just died in Egypt. We should have just stayed over there. Come on. God has promised you, you don't have to be a slave. You can have a life that is flowing with milk and honey. And they begin to, they begin to just, and now, oh, Joshua pipes up. Him and Caleb can't believe what they're hearing. And, and, and Joshua says, the, the, Lord, the Lord delights in us. Did you know if you're here today, the Lord delights in you? He wants to bless your socks off, and you don't even have to take your shoes off to get it done. The Lord delights in us. He give that to us. That's what Joshua said. That's ours. And then he says, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. We can eat their lunch, folks. And he says, their protection has departed them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You know how many people in the church are like them ten? God has promised you something. And because of your fears, you're not going after it. And according to Joshua, that's rebelling against the Lord. He has it for you. You just got to get up and get it. Don't fear them. 
Now, here's the deal. I look at churches. I speak at churches all over. And I see people sitting on 16 inches or some a little more than that of the seats. And you're living your life in the wilderness and you don't have to. If you just faucet your feelings and face your fears, you can have the victorious Christian life. You can have the cake, that's heaven, and you can eat it too. That's having victory in the here, the now, and the nasty. You don't have to wait to the sweet by and by to get victory. And all God's people ought to be saying, Amen and Amen. But it takes work to win. You gotta faucet your feelings and you gotta face your fears. And those ten, listen here, they never got the victory. But when they died, the two, they didn't live by feelings. And they faced their fears and they got to experience the land flowing with milk and honey. And let me just say this, don't that kind of sound a little bit like name it, claim it? I want to straighten this up just a little bit because our church got a review. I didn't know we had Yelp or Kelper help. But somehow, some way, I get to reviews of exciting Southeast Baptist. And one feller, you may be here today. I don't know who it was. You give us two stars. We're a two-star church. I don't even know how I got there. But you know what he gave us two stars? Here's what he said. The pastor said in the sermon, he's not a teacher. And he kind of gave a motivational speech. I would call him a name it, claim it. Folks, well, I've been called a lot of things. But that's the first time I've ever been called a name it, claim it preacher. And let me just straighten up for you reviewers here. Let me just straighten something out for you. If he names it, you and I can claim it. So if he names it, let me tell you, face your fears and claim it. If you're trying to name it, I'll tell you, I don't care how fearless you are, you can't claim it. Put that on the reviews and see how they do with that. Folks, listen, if he names it, we ought to be claiming it. And we ought to be living victorious. If you're going to win, it takes work on what? Fostering your fears, feelings, facing your fears. And number three, if you're going to win, you ready for this? You've got to work on forsaking the flesh. Do you realize when you get saved, the flesh don't get saved? That's why Paul says your flesh is contrary, contradicting to the spirit that lives within you. That's why the spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? It ain't saved. It don't want no part of being saved. If it looks good, if it feels good, if it tastes good, bail in and get after it. That's what the flesh says. And here's what gets me. The apostle Paul, probably the second greatest Christian ever to live. And I say besides Jesus. He says in Romans 7, 15, listen to this. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But that I hate, I do. You know what he's saying? I lose a battle with the flesh. I don't want to do the things that I do. I want to do the things that I don't. And he goes on and he says, If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. 
I know better than doing it, but I do it anyway, so I'm agreeing with the law. But then he goes on, he says, but now it's no longer I who do it. I'm saved. It's not me that does it. Well, then who does it? The sin that dwells in me. And the next verse spells that out. For I know that in me, listen to this, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. You can look at your flesh and say, ain't nothing good about you. You can look in the mirror and you can think you're a 10, and I'm going to tell you the Word of God says, ain't nothing good you're looking at. That's what your flesh is. Ain't one thing good about it. So if we're going to win, we got to forsake the fleshly desires. That's why Paul later said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. Come on, let's just talk about winning in flesh. Is anybody in here way just a little more than you want to? Raise them hands high. Go ahead and admit it. Look back there at Mark Robertson. Send it. If you want to win more, you need to eat more. Give in to the flesh. I want you to look up here. It's real simple how you fix that. Don't give in to the flesh. I mean, it's simply said, isn't it? See, I used to be able to work out and my body could take it and it didn't hurt. And Mr. Strength and Conditioning here <laughs> kept saying, Dad, one of these days you're not going to be able to outwork your diet. Boy, for years, guess what? Give me the Twinkies, give me the oatmeal cream pie ice cream. Who ever dreamed Bluebell would come up with something like that so good? And listen, go ahead and give me three scoops. Cause in the morning, I'm gonna run, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plug in insanity, the video, and I'm just gonna try to kill myself. And the reason is, I'm gonna turn and try to kill myself with ice cream. And for a long time, you know what? I could weigh 185 pounds. I could take the body fat content and it'd be about six to eight percent. I'd doing good. But Mr. Strength and Conditioning, who said there's coming a day, you can't outwork. You can't work out enough to, he tells me I ain't too much. My whole family says, my gosh, dad, stop. And now I'm going to tell you. I didn't think I'd ever weigh 200, and I got there. I'm at least 15 pounds overweight. And some of you's even talked about it. Boy, Rob's getting a little heavy. Well, I think a lot of you are, but I ain't talked about it. But we laugh and we chuckle. Let me tell you something. Don't give in to the flesh. And it won't be no time you'll weigh just what you want to weigh. Boy, how easy is that said? Real easy. How easy is that done? Real hard. And we laugh and we chuckle at that, but that's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Because if the flesh sees it and it looks good, it tastes good, guess what the flesh is screaming? And the Spirit's saying, no, 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 no. Look here. We laugh at that. 
The flesh desires tobacco. The flesh desires cigarettes. The flesh desires alcohol. Pop. And it just goes on and on and on. Sexual immorality could be fixed if we forsake the flesh. Anybody with me? Winners have to work on forsaking the flesh. Because your flesh is going to get addicted to all kinds of things. And it's going to scream, do it. And it's going to tell you it's all right. And I'm going to tell you, you won't be victorious and you won't be successful if you don't forsake the flesh and be obedient to the spirit that lives within you. And all God's people, I don't know how many amens I get, but probably a lot of old me's. So if we're going to be winners, we've got to work on what? Fauceting our feelings. Facing our fears, forsaking the flesh, and you ready for this one? We got to work on fighting the foe. I mean, we got an enemy. And he can use the flesh, he can use the world, and he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. My Bible says he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. My Bible says he's a liar, and guess what? Who is the father of every lie? That enemy. He's the father of every lie. So Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 says this. Now listen. He says, put on the whole, the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now watch what he says right behind that. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You think your battle is with somebody in this church. The Word of God just said not so. You think your battle is with somebody at the workplace. You and them are just at odds. battle says not so. The Bible says it's the devil that can work in and amongst the church, not fighting against a brother or sister. The devil's got in and is causing division. In other words, the accomplice behind every bit of division and every bit of, of, of wrong and evil, guess who's behind it? The devil. And so he says, you've got to put on the whole armor of God because that's our foe. And then he says, therefore, take up the... He lists them. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He says twice to put on the whole armor of God. Twice, and he uses the word whole both times. Suit up. What are we suiting up with? We're girding our waist with truth. Why? devil's a liar. We're, we're got the blessed plate of righteousness and that's Jesus in our heart because without His righteousness, our righteousness is like a filthy rag. Come on. 
Put on the whole armor of God. Get your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Let me tell you something. If you're going to stand, you better stand on the gospel because, listen, you're not saved by your feelings. You're saved because the good news is Jesus came, He died, He was buried, and He rose again. That's the gospel. And you better put that on your feet if you're going to stand. And then he says, put on the shield of faith. And that's the first part of the armor that's not stationary. Look, the, the shoes stay on the feet. The breastplate stays on the chest. Are you with me? The belt stays around the waist. But here's the shield of faith. It's mobile. It can move. Why? The devil don't always hit you head on. So listen, you can move it. He's coming from the side. There's the shield of faith. Wait, he's coming from the other side. You can move it. So you better have the shield of faith. And you better understand the devil can come from any direction. And thank God, he says, take the shield of faith. Where when the arrows come from a different direction. And then he says, the helmet of salvation. What's that mean? Protect that mind. Many of the battles we face are one right here between our ears. You better renew that mind. And then he says, then take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There's the offensive weapon. And you better understand that if you're going to overcome the enemy, it'll be just like Jesus did, and that is with the Word of God. And he says, take up the whole armor. How many people just get up and, hey, I'm going to put the gospel shoes on today. Never put the helmet on. Never gird yourself with the truth. And let me ask you something. You think you're going to win with one or two pieces of armor? And I've used this illustration recently, but I think it's worth revisiting. That sounds like I really worked on my wording, don't it? That's worth revisiting. Let's revisit an illustration that I recently used. You take a great football player. I mean somebody that's great. But you take one piece of equipment from him. Let's just talk about that linebacker that I mean just sticks that face mask right in the chest of a running back and puts those arms under his buttocks and picks him up and drives him in the ground. And we watch him lead the team in tackles and do it over and over again. Take his helmet from him. Take his helmet from him. I bet he's not quite as great as sticking that nose in the chest of that running back. Here's a guy that was a winner. He was a great, but you take one piece of equipment from him, guess what? You take away his victory. You take away his greatness. Let's talk about that running back. I mean, that guy that can be running right at you, and you think you've got him tackled, and you do this, and my gosh, he ain't there. You turn around, and he's 10 yards past you because he done done a little juke and gone. Huh? He's great. He's a winner. Take his cleats off and get him some kids. He tries to make that little cut and his feet go higher in his head. Take away a piece of his equipment, you take away his victory. Take away his greatness. So who are we, church, to think we can only put on one or two pieces of the armor and win? We can't. Paul is telling us, you've got to put on the whole armor of God or you won't win. And you won't achieve greatness in the Christian life, in the kingdom of God. And all God's people said, we've got to fight the foe and we've got to put on every bit of the armor to do it. And lastly, and I'll be done, if we're going to win, we must work on feeding our faith. Now watch this. 1 John five fourteen. 
For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. So me preaching about winning and victory, I think it's named. You're not convinced? (laughs) If a Christian, born of God, he does what? She does what? Overcomes the world. That sounds like success. That sounds like victory. That sounds like a winner to me. Does it anybody else or is that only me? He's naming it so I can claim it. Whatever is born of God, if you're born of God, you can overcome the world. And listen to this. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. His faith, our faith in Him. In other words, it's not His faith that we find the victory in. It's our faith in Him, who He is, what He done. Our faith overcomes the world. What is faith? You know the definition of it? If you don't, it's because you don't read Hebrews 11.1. It's the substance of things hoped for, but the evidence of things not seen. And we live in a world that says this, I believe it when I... Well, one day we was in that little arena to Lazy E, and there was just a kid. I love to watch kids in sports. I love to watch their body language. And if you watch your body language, let me tell you what you'll figure out. You'll figure out the winners in their body language. You'll figure out the winners, how they carry themselves. You'll find out the winners because of the confidence they walk around with. I don't call that cocky. I call it confidence. I call it they believe in what they are and who they are in their particular sport. You with me? And one day there was a boy over there when Slack and I was in the in the little arena doing groundwork, and there was a little boy that just had all the talent in the world. But you know what his body language said? I'm beat up. I can't win. And I watched him before he got out there in the lights. There couldn't nobody beat him over on the side. But when the lights come on, he couldn't beat nobody. And I pulled that young man to the side one day, Bob. And I said, there's no reason you don't stand over in front of that podium. There's no reason you don't pack the saddle out of here. You can win. And you know what he said? I believe that when I see it. Now, how do you respond as a motivational speaker to that? You get down on your knee in front of a 12-year-old boy and you say, look at me. If you don't believe it, you will never see it. You've got to believe you can or you will never see the victory. See, the world so instills in us, I believe it when I see it. And the Christian life is different than that. You've got to believe it or you're not going to see it. And right behind the definition of faith, go read it. I mean, every one of those folks are different. Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Noah, Moses. We've read about them. Their personalities don't all fit in one bucket. But they all made the hall of faith. And when you read it, you'll find the one thing that's in common. You ready? By faith. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. Moses. Tried to put Moses and Noah together, didn't I? 
By faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith Sarah, by faith Isaac. And it goes on and on. And look here, you say, but I'm not a... I'm not a Noah. I'm not an Abraham. I'm not a... Here's the one that just touches my heart. And it lets me know anybody can have the victory. You ready for this one? By faith, the harlot. Rahab. For you to sit there and think because of who you are and what's in your past that you can't have victory. That's a lie from the pits of hell because it don't matter who you are. It don't matter what's in your past. If you just by faith, put in your faith in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he done, you can win. You got to work on feeding your faith. Have you figured out yet today? Winner's work. Now, I've read all kinds of story about the black dog, the white dog, the good wolf, and the bad wolf. But I just thought it'd be a little personal today and more tied to what I know about winning. It tells of a past Paul telling his grandson about everybody. I'm talking, son, everybody you see, inside them, there's a white dog. He's a good dog. He's a godly dog. This dog's all about love and joy and peace and long-suffering and kindness and humility. Huh? Oh, he's a good dog. And only those little grandkids are all ears. And he'll say, what else, past Paul? And I'll say, and everybody you see, not only do they have a white dog in them, the good dog and the godly dog, son, they've got a black dog in them. He's the bad dog. He's the evil dog. He's all about envy and strife and division and hate and murder and lies. And he'd say, what else, past Paul? And I'll say, and every one of them people, that white dog, that good dog, and that black dog, that bad dog, they fight all the time. And he says, past Paul, which dog wins? And what an opportunity, past Paul's. What an opportunity, daddies. What an opportunity, grandmas, mamas. Which dog wins? The one you feed? That's what all the stories say. But I'm going to add something to it. Son, the one you feed and the one you work with. You got to feed a good dog, but you got to work with a good dog. Every one of you within the sound of my voice, guess what you got in you? You got the white dog. If you're saved, he's in you. You got the black dog. You hear in the flesh, just reach and pinch yourself. Tell me if it hurts. Pinch hard if you need to. 
that means you got the black dog. And according to scriptures, they're contrary. According to scriptures, they fight. And if you want to win, and you want to be good, and you want to be godly, and you want to grow and glorify your God, you've got to feed and work with the good dog. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Let's all stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. Some of you, you're living in the wilderness. You're saved. You're born again. But the victory, being more than a conqueror, it's just not there. And today you realize winners work. Altars are open. Do you need to work on falsetting your feelings? Altars are open. Do you need to work on facing your fears? Forsaking the flesh? Do you need to work on fighting the foe? Or do you need to work on feeding the faith? Altars are open, Christians. But look here. If you're here today and you're not saved, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ, He done all the work that it takes for you to be saved on the old rugged cross. If you're here today and you're not sure when your life ends, you'll spend eternity in heaven, but rather instead it would be a hell. Today, would it be the day that you step out and say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I'm ready to be saved. Altars are open. People are in them. Not going to hand you the mic. Not going to embarrass you. Just going to show you from the Word of God how to be saved according to what it says. Father, have your way in the heart of us, your people. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You need to come. Come. Oh, I search through